You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Um. Okay. And welcome back to Talking Nicks. We're going to be talking about the, uh, the not-so-hot week we just had. Uh, we're going to get into the starters' struggles versus the strength of the bench unit and how worried we should be about all that. So let's just get to it. Let's talk Knicks. All right, so I'm Tom Piccolo. We are recording this on uh, the evening of Sunday, November 14th. I believe, yes. And I'm joined by my dear friend, Kenny Poon. Kenny, what's going on, man? How's your weekend? Hey, Tom. How's it going? Uh, so my weekend started out rough. Uh, Friday night, watched the Knicks. As many of our listeners will know, that didn't go well. Nope. Immediately after that, I watched Team USA versus Mexico in soccer, uh, World Cup qualifying. They did win that one. <laughs> Dos Acero. That's a thing for... For the, the soccer fans out there, Tom, you wouldn't know. No, but uh, and I then, did see, uh, was, it, was it Pulisic? Is this, is this how you say yep. his name? He uh, um, was wearing kind of a trolling T-shirt underneath his uniform. Is that his uni? His kit. His kit, if you will. Uh, I saw that it said the man in the mirror. I don't know if there was a story behind that. but There, uh, there was a story behind that. Uh, well, let me hear the story, and then I'll continue on with my, my weekend. Because I, I, I didn't know. know. I didn't I know, know that I'm the right person to relay it, but... I believe that someone on the, on the Mexican team said that the Mexican national team was kind of what the U.S. team would like to see when they looked in the mirror. Something to that effect. Just that, like, the U.S. Okay. team, the, the gist of it was that the U.S. team was jealous of the Mexican team and what they've accomplished and that they would like to look in the mirror and see themselves when they see the well, Mexican team. That is interesting because, I mean, these are the two best teams in CONCACAF. I think that's, you know, widely accepted as true. The U.S., this, they had recently won, I, I don't remember the two tournaments, but they, they, beat cha- they beat Mexico in the championship game of the last two tournaments they played, both in the last year. And then uh, this game put the U.S. in uh, first. They're, so they're tied with Mexico in, in CONCACAF. World Cup qualifying, but they're leading on goal differential. So they are first in CONCACAF. And to your point, Christian Pulisic, I, now I'm, I'm, I'm so tired, I don't, I'm assuming I'm saying it right. Yeah. Uh, he, he's been injured for a while. Uh, he's widely regarded as the U.S.'s best player. Um, he, you know, was the golden child coming up. He's very, still very young. Uh, so he was limited to, I think, like 20, 25 minutes. Um, so he came in as a late sub. And almost immediately upon entering the game, he scored a goal and then pulled that, that out. And, and, and when that happened, I was just thinking, like, how often do people, like, do stuff like that and then they don't score a goal? Like, they just have something and then it's just there and no one will ever know. So no one ever sees the shirt underneath. Yeah, I, I wonder that about that for, like, NFL touchdown celebrations, yeah. right? Yeah. Like the Sharpie in the, in the sock. How many yeah. guys are walking around with Sharpies in their socks and never got a chance to use them? Exactly. Yeah, but uh, – 
Okay, yeah. but, but go on the rest of your go, week. Going on, going on. So I watched, and this, and this sets the stage for my entire weekend, because I watched those two games, and then immediately following that, also on ESPN2, was uh, Villanova versus UCLA. As you know, I went to Villanova, uh, and the game, I'm guessing because of the soccer game, was on at 8.30 p.m. Pacific time, because they were in L.A., but they started at 8.30. I think normally if you start a game in L.A., you should start at 7 o'clock, hour and a half before that, but that's 11.30 p.m. Eastern time where I am located. And then that game went into overtime. (laughs) And so I was up much later than I was comfortable with, and then I slept pretty much most of the day yesterday because of that, and now I'm just fully recovering today. So uh, that that was my weekend. Today uh, I, I was mentioning to you my good friends Jim Widman and Suzanne Widman. I assume she took his last name. Un- unclear. Uh, but they stopped by. We had some pizza. We hung out, watched some Seinfeld. It was a good time. And now I'm here talking to you. So good weekend nice. for me so far. How, how, was, how was your weekend? You're, are you just getting back from vacation, correct? It's true. You can probably tell from how tan I am. Can't tell that, at all. Not even a little? Okay. Uh, well, I'm actually very diligent about sunscreen application, as you have to be when you are my complexion. So, yeah, uh, my wife and I, Spent the spent five nights, about six days in Turks and Caicos, in the Caribbean, and uh, we we had a lovely, lovely time. I mean, we basically spent the entire time on the this resort. It was a very nice resort, the Palms. We booked it through Costco. I'm dropping a lot of names, hoping for some some endorsements here. But like, it, I mean, the beach was gorgeous. Grace Bay Beach. It's often ranked like one of the top beaches in the world. Uh, and, and for good reason. It's it's beautiful blue water. The sand is just like fine and soft, and it was it was a really nice time. Got to relax, heard, uh, unwind, do the whole thing. Yeah, I heard you ran you ran into some rain. Is that is that right? It's true. Uh, yeah. So the the weather was actually a little iffy, and it was cloudy many of the days, except for like the last full day we were there, which was full on like all sun, and it was. That was a little intense. It was almost like too too hot, and so yeah. we were kind of a little thankful for for the clouds. But no, the it, there was definitely some rain. It led to some some real large waves. Like the the people who live there and the people who worked at the resort say that like they never get any waves, um, but there were some some serious waves when we were there, and it actually ended up like uh, Rose and I were staying in some beach chairs, and we went for a long walk and came back, and our chairs had been flipped by the current. And apparently our bag nearly got washed out to sea with our wallet and all this important stuff in there. And our, our neighbors saw that happening and, and got the bag before it went out to sea. Though nice of them. Rose's library book was not so lucky. She, uh, her book is, is out to sea right now. So, oh, no. Um, what, hap- what happens in that situation? What happens when you lose a library book? Rose can never show her face at the Fairfield Public Library. Yeah. Again, and they can't That's listen no. to this at all so no uh but no it was a it was a really nice vacation not looking forward to to getting back into the swing of work i'd gotten very used to frozen cocktails on the beach yeah and before we jump into the knicks uh which i'm i'm sure everyone is excited for can i ask you how you chose turks and caicos just seems like an interesting decision well so i mentioned we booked it through costco and because they have a travel agency there so like when you leave costco they have the pamphlet of the travel brochure and basically, we just kind of flipped to the Caribbean. 
Rose and I had been to uh, St. Thomas and St. John before the U S Virgin islands. And we were just kind of, the reason we liked the Caribbean is just that it's close. Like the flight was three hours and change, like three hours and 15 minutes direct. It was not difficult to get there. And uh, it's just, it's kind of an ease of travel plus the, the beaches look gorgeous. And it's just like a pretty easy sell for us. We wanted a Caribbean vacation. We wanted some beaches. Our last vacation was to Montana for uh, Glacier National Park, which was a ton of hiking and a lot of physical activity, which I love doing as well. But this one was kind of the opposite where we did not do anything adventurous. We played some tennis, shot some hoops and, uh, and mostly just laid on the beach. So you guys are big vacation guys. I, I respect that. Yeah. Yeah. You got to take that time off for the, for the mental health. You know, you, you work hard, you watch as many Knicks games as, as we do. You got to, got to look out for yourself. Yeah. But uh, with that, I, I guess we should get into it. That was my uh, attempt at a transition. So um, I know on the, in the last podcast, we, we being Greg and big baby David discussed the, uh, the death by Ricky Rubio threes and the loss of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Since then, uh, the Knicks played three games, went one and two, defeated the Philadelphia, a, a very shorthanded Philadelphia 76ers team. I don't want to take away from that win, given it was the, the second night of a back-to-back, but, you know, the Sixers were without Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, um, um, Tybel, right? Matisse Tybel. Yeah. So, you know, that was a very depleted team, but give it up. Like the Knicks went on the road and won that game. Wins a uh, win. Wins a win. And then the next two kind of were talking about mirror images. Like they were sort of mirror images of each other in that the Knicks starters dug a large hole against both at home against the Milwaukee Bucks and on the road against the Charlotte Hornets, followed by uh, the, the bench kind of bringing them back in. This happened more so uh, in the second half against Charlotte, where the starters really just laid an egg to start the third quarter before the second unit came in and uh, was able to pull them out of it, tie the game up before eventually losing. And in Milwaukee, it was sort of a fake comeback situation. So I don't want to get too into the nitty gritty of the games here, but I think just high level, you know, that sort of pattern has become very noticeable. There's a lot of noise on Twitter right now. People are looking at plus minuses. They're pulling out all the data. You look at just these past these past four games where the Knicks are one and three. Julius Randle is a team worst minus 17. That's that's a per game. So if we look at totals, I know we don't love the plus minus stat, but Julius Randle, if the last four games is minus 67 whereas Obi Toppin is the team best plus 39. And that, that's a pretty much a direct on-off situation, right? Those are the two power forwards. They are splitting time at the power forward position. For the most part, we've seen a little bit of them playing together. But like, it, there's definitely a, an energy shift when that second unit comes in, and we're seeing some, some issues with that starting unit. So, Kenny, I'll let you start wherever you want, but um, what are you noticing – with that, that first unit compared to the second one. And so I think, I mean, I, I think I mentioned to you just to let the fans know, to be completely honest, I missed that Bucks game. So I did not see what happened there. So I'm going to stick mostly to the, the 76ers game or not the 76ers, the Charlotte Hornets game, which I did see. 
Um, and I think like you, you mentioned the Knicks Twitter and just general Knicks fans are kind of up in arms about a few things. And I think it's too early for that. And I think uh, people have just generally been very reactionary this season. I think you um, issued a, you know, a tweet in response earlier this season to everyone, you know, questioning Emmanuel quickly. And he has since responded by being, you know, much better after the first couple of games of the season, people were very much out on RJ Barrett. He had a very strong stretch. Uh, same with Kemba Walker. Um, and now like people are again against Kemba Walker, but like there's too much reaction. People have to like calm down and let this whole thing figure it out, fi- figure itself out. So talking about the Hornets game, um, it started out, the Knicks started out very strong. Kemba Walker scored 17 points in the first quarter. I think he had 19 in the first half, uh, or maybe 20 or so. Something like that. Came in, uh, came in again late in the second, uh, second quarter and scored a couple more points. Um, so they, the Knicks were playing very well. And during that stretch, a noticeable thing that happened was that Julius Randle, I don't know that he took a shot. He was very much focused on facilitating and like trying to get everyone else uh, involved in the offense and that I think worked very well the Knicks were playing very well and I think I said at halftime they were up by nine and I thought that they were should be up by more because I thought they had far outplayed the Hornets um, and then you go into the second half and what you start to see is a little bit of the lack of chemistry bringing in you know a Kemba Walker and in Evan Fournier to join the the starting lineup and so what happened a little bit was I saw Julius Randle starting to force a few shots because, you know, he is the best player on the team. No one's debating that. And he had, I think at that point, two points maybe. And he just started decided, you know, I'm the guy I have to show that I earned all of this money that they just gave me. So now's the time that I'm going to like be a part of the, yeah, exactly. And uh, that resulted in a lot of him kind of playing ISO and taking questionable shots that didn't go in and like that stagnated the offense and it took other people out of the game. And it's just that balance for them to find, you know, with, you know, so many guys who can control the ball and so many guys who can do different things. Uh, Kemba Walker, RJ Barrett, Julius Randall, Evan Fournier, like those are four guys on the court, all of whom can create offense by themselves trying to mesh together. And when someone goes ISO and takes other people out of the game, like that's, I think part of the problem, uh, but I'm not that concerned about it. I think this happens a lot. Like uh, I had a, a conversation with someone on Twitter, like this happened a little bit with like the Miami heat, the, like, different situation, much different level of talent. But when they brought together Chris Bosch and Dwayne Wade and LeBron James, like I think they played 500 balls for the first 20 games and like they went on to have a phenomenal season. So it takes some time. It's going to take some time for these guys to mesh both offensively and defensively. And I think we mentioned that like, the, the defense is bad right now for that starting unit. And then the flip side to that is when we look at the bench unit, how good they've played, you have to realize that they played together last season. Like this is the same unit that was very good last season. So like they have that chemistry, they have that, you know, ability to kind of read each other. Like the, the ability of um, Derek Rose to just find Obi Toppin and make Obi Toppin a much better player is uncanny and so like i think those two things are making like the difference between how well the bench plays together and how well or how poorly the starters play together like that is directly contributing to it and again i'm not worried i think it'll figure itself out over time and i think 
Knicks fans need to calm down a little bit. But that's my take. Tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, I think what I want to do here is let's, let's drill down a little bit into each. Let's start with the, the starters and really kind of double-click into that and figure out what, what beyond the lack of chemistry is going on here, kind of who is struggling and what can maybe be done to fix it. Because, like, you're seeing calls on, on Twitter being like, we got to change up the starting lineup. I don't agree with that. Um, but I do think that there are things that can be done differently. And then let's, let's save the bench talk for the end and give people something to look forward to because that's just fun. Um, we'll, we'll eat our vegetables here first, talking about the starting lineup. But, you know, you, you go back to that third quarter against Charlotte, and I really do think that that was just a very illustrative stretch of ball of kind of what, what the issues are for this next team. And then when the second unit came in, kind of what the strengths are. So you remember the, the half began with RJ just first thing falling asleep on a backdoor cut from Gordon Hayward and he got an easy bucket and like RJ, he has been deserving of some serious criticism. These last four games, I think, uh, you heard Thibodeau, there are a lot of people pointing this out on, on the internet, that, that Thibodeau was on the broadcast, his voice was picked up yelling at RJ, saying, RJ, wake the F up. Um, and he kind of didn't, because RJ's been sleepwalking. He's been sleepwalking on defense, and, and part of it is maybe it's because his shot is, is off that it's actually affecting him on the other end of the floor, which is not really the RJ we've known right? Like he's been so even keeled. He's kind of going to give you that same effort. And even when his shot's not falling, he still does the little things to help you win basketball games, cutting hard, playing defense. And I'd say through the last three, four games, he's not been doing those things. He's not been doing the little things. He's really been, um, really been struggling in his energy and his production. So I don't know, Kenny, what do you, is there anything about RJ Barrett that has you worried at all again like i i think i'm gonna say the same thing a lot but like this is a small sample size like how i don't, I don't know how far we are into the game but less than 20 game, 20 games in uh he had like last game no doubt second half like he was get, getting beat off ball a lot yeah i still think he's been pretty good on ball um not not kind of the the level he was the first week of the season the first five six games but i think For he's sure. been pretty good on ball uh, but I, and again, I think part of that in, uh, and you know, I'm getting into the psychoanalysis of all of this, but I think part of it is because the starters have been so poor defensively, like he is like hyper-focused on whoever has the ball looking to help first, rather than paying attention to where his man is when his man doesn't have the ball. Like, that's my two cents. Like I could be completely wrong, but that's my guess as to why this is happening because like, like you said, early in the season, he was excellent defensively at all levels. Uh, and, and now I think the biggest thing is him off ball. And again, if the entire team is struggling defensively, he's looking to be a team player and looking to help someone else if they need it. Yeah. So I, just because think, I just think like it's also a case of, of kind of just energy as well. And, and if I were to like kind of pinpoint one thing beyond chemistry that is plaguing the starting unit, it's kind of a lack of force that this team plays with. It's almost like a, a – this is recently, too. I'm talking about the last – call the last four games, last five games. 
there's just kind of a, almost a sense of entitlement to this team where they're not that scrappy. Like you look at the second unit and it is just night and day as far as just sprinting after loose balls, getting after guys on defense, picking some guys up full court. Um, the, the second unit hasn't been showing that recently. And, um, you know, I, I think that RJ has, has fallen into that a little bit, but even, I'm talking defensively there, but even on the offensive end, RJ is our guy who we love, we love to see him get out and transition. And even in the half court, getting to the basket, getting into the paint, using his strength and being a forceful player to create plays for himself and others. He hasn't really been doing that lately. And you look at like the drives per game numbers and they're way down for him. And it's just, that's just, he's just kind of one symptom here where, you know, Kemba Walker isn't necessarily a forceful player anymore. I think that once upon a time, he definitely was. He was a spark plug. He's, you know, even for his size, he's very strong and explosive and was able to finish around the rim. He's, you know, he's had, he's been through a lot of injuries. I don't know that we really expect Kemba to be able to play with that kind of force. Randall, who you expect to be able to play like that, he has definitely settled in. And, and he did this last year too. Uh, he just kind of turned himself into a pull-up mid-range jump shooter. We've said before, last year he was kind of like Dirk and it was extremely effective for him. This year he's not shooting the ball well from two. He's not hitting his mid-rangers. Um, I think he's hitting like 36% or something on pull-up twos. That's not going to get the job done. Um, and so when he becomes, when he relegates himself to being a jump shooter, that's just one less guy playing with force. You know what I'm talking? And then Evan Fournier, he's kind of more of a, of a skill guy too. So, I, you know, all this, it's, it's starting to sound like I'm calling the starters soft. And I think it's fair to say that they have been playing soft. I don't think that they, I don't think that's necessarily indicative of how they will play in the future, but there are just certain guys who need to pick it up, play stronger play with more force. And I think RJ and Randall are the two obvious picks for who's going to need to be able to do that and, and make that turnaround. And one, I think one thing going against the Knicks on that, and it's another thing that might change over the season is that, and I hate to blame the refs, but the refereeing has been very different this season than it has been in past seasons. And I think you're right that um, both Julius Randall and RJ Barrett are guys who would love to get to the rim. And I think they there are times in the game where there is, they're trying to get to the rim, they're seeking out contact, they're getting a little bit of contact, and they're not getting those calls to get to the free throw line. And particularly for Julius Randle, that's really changed his game. I, I don't have any stats in front of me, but I have to imagine he is shooting less free throws than he did last year. Um, so that's just taking points off the board for him. Uh, and I think that might be part of the reason for kind of settling for, for some of his jumpers, because like if he's going to the rim, he's taking contact so he's missing shots and then he's not getting the calls at some point he just starts to pull up a little bit and like I've been a little bit frustrated because I felt like I do feel like because of their strength it's kind of like the same thing it was with Carmelo Anthony like because he was so strong he didn't get a lot of calls and for both RJ Barrett and Julius Randle because they're so strong like it's not as obvious when they get fouled and so they don't get as many calls and I think there are like softer calls against them on the other end which is also you know adding to the frustration. Uh, but I think that's going to figure itself out over the season. Cause I don't think that, you know, I, I, I agree with the rule changes that have been made. I think that in many instances they have been taken too far and eventually throughout the season, they're going to shift back to kind of a more normal level. Yeah. And I think that one nice thing about having all these shooters on the floor is that there's going to be more space on the floor and, and 
hopefully more opportunities for Randall to get some cleaner looks. And we've seen plays where, you know, he's been like a pick and roll ball handler and he's been able to get to the rim or more often than not make plays for other people. I love seeing him do that. I love seeing him get downhill and make those passes. Um, you know, when, when the Hornets got out to that 10 to one start in the third quarter, the Knicks called a timeout and I was, I was, I tweeted this as well. I was looking to see kind of what, Tom Thibodeau would draw up during the timeout as sort of the, the go-to, like stop the bleeding. This is going to, it's going to have to be one of our best plays to get our best look. And, you know, it was just a straight up ISO in, in, you know, to Julius Randall. Randall caught the ball on the right elbow. There was no, there was no cutting. There was no screening. It was just Randall one-on-one against Bridges, who's a good defender. And he ended up taking a fadeaway, called 15 footer and it bricked off the front of the rim, but it's like that, that shouldn't be, I don't hate that shot for Randall. I mean, he's in the paint. Like he's made that shot. It's a decent look, but coming out of a timeout coming off a 10 to one run, there's just too much momentum for them at this point. And you want to see Randall get downhill. You want to run something. You want to make the defenders defend everyone else. The other four guys are all standing around. The other defenders aren't working at all. And, um, you know, that was just a little worrisome. It was was one play, I know, but it's just kind of indicative of what is going on with this starting unit. Um, I'm not going to pin it all on Randall, though he hasn't. I mean, I think he would admit as well, he hasn't been as good. Um, Kemba, fans are really turning on Kemba. Uh, I think that there are some valid criticisms. He has struggled to beat his man off the dribble. He's been a little tentative. In that game against Charlotte to start, he was the opposite of those things. He's shown that he still can beat his man, still can get into the paint and make things happen. I think the guy who need we, we talked about RJ, the guy who does need the spotlight on him a little bit is Fournier, right? Because he's been a non-factor in, in a lot of games. He's making a lot of money, and we've already seen what kind of skill he has. Like the, the first game against the Boston, but even during the summer in the Olympics, he was that guy for France. And he is really having a hard time finding his way so far in New York the last several games. And I think he's someone who the offense is going to go a little bit to the extent that he, that he and Randall are able to find that kind of Bullock Randall chemistry, which was such an engine for us last year. Fournier needs to be that guy for us. And so far he has, has not been, he's been a completely non-factor. And like, I know I keep coming back to it, but that's, it's like the whole point I've been making. Um, that this team, and particularly, I think Julius Randle, Kemba Walker, and Evan Fournier are trying to figure each other out. There are definitely times when, you know, Kemba Walker is tentative, and I think that is because he is deferring to Julius Randle. And I think it's the same thing with Evan Fournier, where, like, if someone else is doing something, you're going to defer to them because you're, you're trying not to step on each other's toes. And not to make the analogy, like, again, but you go back to that Miami heat team when they first brought all of them together. And they said like, after that slow start, Dwayne Wade had a conversation with LeBron James and he said, listen, you're the man, like you're in charge. And like, we're all going to take a back seat because you have to be in charge for this to go. And like, I think we're going to hit a point where all of these people like start to understand how to play together. And what the fans need to understand is like, in order for this team to be the best, all of these people are necessarily going to be worse, worse statistically than they have been in the past. Like, and I think I said that at the beginning of the season where I don't expect anyone to have like great statistical seasons, 
because there are so many good players that to the extent that you have threats from everywhere and everyone's like sacrificing a little bit of their own statistics for the betterment of the team. Like, I think that is our best chance to be a great team. And so like, I think it's going to get figured out. I think these people are, you know, have been like, they're good enough. They have enough talent that this will get figured out. And like, I'm not that worried about it. And maybe I'm the only one, but we're one, what was it? 11, 12 game winning streak away from being ridiculously good. So like we have 81, 81 games for that. Yeah, Kenny, I, I do. I like your optimism. I'm also on team. Like let's calm down. Let's not overreact. I just think that what is probably most concerning to Knicks fans is probably a perceived lack of urgency and a lack of effort from the starters and just kind of that the little bit of that entitlement that I talked about before on the defensive end, it is a, a complete lack of attention to detail and a lack of communication. The communication should come over time, but it does just seem very sloppy, very just not indicative of what a, what a Thibodeau team is typically like. So yes, there are issues with, um, with, with just continuity and playing together and learning how to play together. But at some point defense is an effort thing as well. Um, you know, Mitchell Robinson hasn't quite looked right. I know he had a hip flexor injury that made him miss a game in there somewhere. And he's just kind of looked a little hampered recently, just less athletic, less bouncy. He doesn't look like the, the Mitch, that we know. Um, so he's a huge part of that defense. Nerlens Noel missed a couple of games as well. Was it with a hamstring? Do you know? Was it, was it a, uh, it might've been a hamstring, but I know he's been out for the last couple of games. Yeah. So, I mean, those, those two guys being banged up, they're the anchors of our defense straight up. So that is a, a huge issue, but it's been a problem of, you see the clips going around of, of not getting out on shooters and, and, you know, putting two guys on the ball and, and, just not, not playing fundamentally sound defense. It, it goes back to the fundamentals, and it's frustrating to see that when you see your starters out there versus your second unit who is flying around and, you know, digging on roll men and getting back out to shooters. It's just it's night and day, and there's a stark, stark contrast, and I think that's what's made it even worse for the uh, worse look for the starting unit. So – I don't know. I'm not going to keep harping on how poorly they've been playing. It's just, I, I do, I do agree with you. I think there's also, and there's been something kind of like a malaise that has seeped in that is sapping some energy from the team and some, some ability to play with force. And I think that's the thing that's going to need to solve itself uh, sooner than later, because it's just not, not tenable. And I mean, (laughs) I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I still think this all just comes down to like team chemistry and everything. Uh, like I, I feel like once everyone is more together, both offensively and defensively, it builds confidence. It's a psychological game because like once things go wrong, like they tend to spiral uh, this season for the Knicks. And so like they like, uh, I'll give Julius Randle as an example. Cause you mentioned like the clips going around of him just not getting out on shooters. And I wonder how much of that is. He's just like a lot of the time putting so much energy in to trying to make the offense go and like trying to prove that he's the guy on offense that he gets to the defensive end. And he's just like, he's exhausted physically and mentally. And he's just like, there are lapses. 
So again, I think once, like, like you said, unacceptable, but I think there's something there that once the team starts playing together, once all of this comes together, which I think it will, um, I think that that will all sort itself out. And look, I mean, I, I tweeted this as well, but like the, the Knicks last year were five and eight through 13 games and we're coming off a five game losing streak at that 13 game mark. Um, we saw how much they turned it around, how much chemistry they ended up building particularly. I mean, I mentioned Bullock and Randall before that really kind of started after the all-star game. You know, that's, I know that's the team that's sort of freshest in our minds because it happened most recently, but that, that team that gelled, it did take them time as well. Um, and, and yeah, when, when you're playing well, when shots are going down, that does give you more energy and does allow you to play uh, with kind of more fire on both ends of the floor. So I'm with you, Kenny. I, I do think that more time together, more chemistry built, that's all going to help. Um, I think that some of the offensive woes, it is a little stagnation, but it's also just guys are missing shots. RJ, the last four games, I think he's hitting 15% on threes. Like, that's just not like him. It's not going to sustain. He will start hitting shots. He's missed some really open ones. Evan Fournier has missed a lot of open shots. Um, I think it was uh, Benji Ritholtz of the Strickland put together a video. Or it could have been Ariel Pacheco. One of the guys who does the videos online uh, did a video of, of Evan Fournier and, uh, and his missed threes. It was Ariel uh, Pacheco who put together this kind of group of tweets where Fournier was getting great looks out of sets, out of sets that the Knicks run, and uh, he was just straight up missing. And so I remember in the third quarter when the Hornets were going on their run, Julius Randle drove, kicked it out to Evan Fournier, and that's, that's a pass he has to trust, right? And Julius Randle has to trust that Evan Fournier with an open three is a great look and that Randle can't do better otherwise. And, and look, Fournier just bricked it hard off the back of the rim. Like, it would never really had a chance. And that's got to be frustrating, you know? So once guys start seeing the ball go through the net again, like at their average rate, at their career average rate, then I think even just that little change will, uh, will inject some, some energy and some life into this team. Yeah, and that's, that's why you can't be too, you know, up or down about any small stretch of basketball is because, like, things sometimes – that's how basketball is. Sometimes the shots don't go in. And over the course of an 82-game season, I think I said 81 earlier, an 82-game season, like, those things tend to average themselves out. So I fully expect the Knicks to figure it out by the end of the season. It might not be in the next next week, next two weeks, but by the end of the season, I think they'll have things figured out. And the whole goal is to go into the playoffs with a team that you trust and a team that, you know, can't be exploited like the Knicks were last year, being so dependent on Julius Randle. And I think this next team is best is if they trust Kemba Walker, they trust RJ Barrett, they trust Evan Fournier to all be able to make plays and take a little bit of the load off of Julius Randle. All right. So I think that's enough of uh, harping on that starting unit and let's, we can get to the fun stuff now and we can, we can talk a little bit more about the starting unit. I'm sorry, the starting, the, the bench mob, Derek Rose, Emmanuel quickly, Obi Toppin, Alec Burks, and then whichever the centers is healthy, either Taj or Nerlens. Um, I mean, that, that core has been – they've looked incredible. Like, 
I mean, you mentioned that they, a lot of them played together last year, that they do have that continuity. They all played together last year. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. Who of that group has been most impressive to you? Uh, I don't know that I can – I mean, all of them have been very impressive. The guy that I'm going to highlight, though, is Alec Burks, because I think he's a guy that gets overlooked a lot. And he is also a guy that had a very slow start to the season, to the point where I don't think I mentioned it on the pod, but I said to you guys, like, Alec Burks just looks bad. He was just missing a lot of shots. He had no ability to create any offense. And for the last couple games, at least, uh, he's been able to create his own offense and he's been hitting open threes, which is what we need from him. Like, this is the player that we saw last year. We don't need him to score 20 points a game. But if he could get a 20-point game every now and then, like, that's what we want of him. And, and he showed more of that ability. So I'm, I'm very excited to see him kind of turning the corner on that. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you, you highlight Burks, though. He's like one of the last – he's the last guy I expected you to highlight. That's and, why I did it. Yeah, you I really did. I don't zigged. think anyone else is talking about Burks, and he's someone that I specifically have mentioned to you guys in our, in our, um, in our text chat that, like – Previously, I was concerned about him, but the last, I think, two games at least, he's been playing very well. And, like, that turnaround is important because we want, like I said, all of our players to figure it out and to be playing well. And he was a guy who was playing poorly and showed that he could turn it around, just like a lot of players have done this season. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good call. I think that the, the player, I mean, they're, they're obviously the two young guys, last year's rookies are the two that people are most excited about just because they're, long-term Knicks investments, likely. Um, I mean, Emmanuel, quickly, I'll just start with him. He did struggle shooting the ball to start, and a lot of people kind of were quick to jump on. They're saying if quickly can't shoot, if quickly is not hitting his threes, then he doesn't provide any value elsewhere, which is just about as far off base as you can get, I think. I mean, I, I know I was harping on that earlier in the season, that his playmaking is much improved. I think in the month of November, he's got about a three to one assist to turnover ratio. Um, he's really distributing the ball better. He looks better with it. Um, also just defensively, he is the best point of attack defender on the team. And I don't think that there's a close second, you know, as far as containing opposing primary ball handlers, it, it's not, I mean, Derek Rose is a, a good team defender. He's not getting into guys' jerseys and take, picking them up full court. You know, Kemba can't do, can't do that. Um, it, it's Emmanuel quickly. He's the guy to do that. And, uh, and he does, man. He's got the motor for it. He's got the chip on his shoulder. He want, he's got something to prove. I love what he does defensively, especially on the ball. Um, and finally, he's starting to hit threes. So, like, in the month of November, so that's the past seven games, quickly is hitting 40% on threes shooting over four three-point attempts per game in just under 20 minutes per game. So he's getting those looks up in just a, uh, with a short uh, minutes per game. And a lot of them are big threes, too. Like he's, They're momentum he's, shifters. Yeah. It's a great call, man. Like, he, he's pulling up off the dribble, hitting threes that, that – I mean, just it's what he was doing last year that energizes the crowd, that just gets everyone fired up, gets the bench into it. Like, it's – it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun seeing Emmanuel quickly do it. And he's just playing so much better. And he's developed great chemistry with Obi Toppin. You mentioned Eric Rose's uh, chemistry with Toppin. Quickly's got that too. They do have that, that sophomore connection. Toppin's the other guy who, you know, he's not playing a ton of minutes per game. In November, he's playing 13 minutes per game. 
I think a lot of people would argue that's not enough. He's got the highest plus minus um, on the team in the last few in the last few games. Like he's he's just brought a different level of energy and just he's it brings a different threat. Julius Randle wants to kind of slowly walk it up the court and back down and pound his way and jab step. Obi Toppin is constantly sprinting to the rim and pointing up and saying, lob me that ball. It's just like, it's the same rookie enthusiasm he had, but with a lot more skill. Yeah. And uh, that's the amount of energy that Obi Toppin puts in the game is just frankly refreshing. And it kind of has like hit the point where every time he goes to the basket, like I expect it to go in, like his finishing at the rim, not just on dunks has been incredible. Like he's finishing on layups, on finger rolls, on like through contact, like off of moves. And it's been incredible. And like to the point where you probably like we, he came in with us expecting him to, to shoot it a little bit. And he hasn't shot it at all this year uh, from three. And like, mm-hmm. I don't really care. That's how good he has been at getting to the rim and finishing at the rim and just bringing energy like on rebounds, on defense, like. Uh, he saved a few loose balls like last game that led to fast breaks and buckets. And it's like the amount of energy he puts in is, is like, that's the kind of thing that gets the team going, you know, like we were talking about how the, the defense stagnates for the, the starting unit, like his energy, like when you see someone playing that hard, there's no way that you're not playing as hard as possible and like closing out on every, every shooter possible. And like, that's just great for the team and great for, for the, the reserve unit to, to have that on the floor with just to like compare yourself to while you're on the floor. It's like, all right, am I working as hard as that guy? Probably not. I should step it up, you know? Yeah. And, and Kenny, so on the season, he is averaging just under 15 minutes per game. Um, you know, there are some outliers of the Celtics game with a double overtime. So his minutes were higher in that one. But the question would be like, do you think he'd be able to maintain that level of, of energy playing 20 minutes per game. Uh, you know, I don't know where those minutes even come from, but is that, is that part of Tibbs's calculus where it's like Toppin is going full bore the whole time? Maybe that's why he gets fewer minutes. Would Toppin have to, you know, level out that energy output at, at a higher, um, you know, minutes per game? I, w- I would have to think so because there is no way that a guy his size can go – 30 minutes at that clip. And so like, yeah, 30 is one thing. He, he, he is a special athlete. Like we both agree with that, but I don't yeah. think 30 is even possibly on the table just because of the, I know. That's, just, yeah, yeah, just because of the roster, but like even 20, that, I mean, that's a big increase for him. Like I think he could still give this energy, but I don't know where those 20 minutes are coming from. Exactly. Cause that takes, cause he, and I said this at the beginning of the season, again, he almost all of his minutes are going to come when Julius Randall is on the floor. And if he's getting 20 minutes, that means that Julius Randle is getting 28 minutes. And I don't see that. Julius Randle is getting 35 minutes no matter what. So, like, I'm not sure where. And you also have Mitchell Robinson. You have Taj Gibson, who's been great. And you have uh, Nerlens Noel at center, who has been injured but was very good last year. So I just don't see, like, maybe when the matchup allows and we saw it a little bit so far this season, like you might have a a small ball lineup with Obi Toppin at at the five, but it's just the way the team is constructed. I don't see it happening a lot. So I don't see him kind of getting to that 20 minutes mark. I I see him probably sticking around 15 for the whole season. And Kenny, I, I had had some thoughts in the past week that I thought I just kind of like 
brushed away because I thought they're maybe too ridiculous. But then I saw Dallas Amico tweet this. He's from the Strickland. Great Twitter follow. Uh, he said, we need Obi Toppin to, to up his minutes per game. If Thibs is so tied to this traditional rim protector and Randall getting 35 minutes per game, which he appears to be, then would it make sense? Would it be doable for Randall to play the three? And I'd been, I'd been considering that because you look at Randall's shot diet. He plays, and, and I remember people saying this last year too, he plays like a big wing. He, he plays like Paul George. or like, I mean, he takes a lot of threes. He distributes the ball like, like a primary ball handler. Like, could he possibly play the three? And, you know, there have been times where he moves his feet so well. There was a clip that went kind of viral last year of him defending Luka Doncic. When he locks in, Randall can move laterally. He can move side to side with nearly anyone. Big wings, I think Randall could guard. So what do you think about playing Randall at the small forward, Obi at the four, and then kind of like a, a Mitch Noel Gibson at the five? Is that too little shooting in that group, or is that, is that feasible? I think, I mean, I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head with the, the shooting being the main concern. I, and I, I believe that Obi is a better shooter than he has shown this season. I don't know how good, but I think this season he's shooting like It's like 11%. 2 of 16 or something, yeah. It's- yeah, so some very small percentage. Um, and then when you add in, you know, Taj Gibson and – uh, that's two non-shooters, so I, I feel like it's going to pack the paint a little bit. But I think in small stretches in the right lineup, like that's a very interesting idea because thinking about it right now, and like I hadn't seen that tweet and I hadn't thought about it before you mentioned it just now, um, but the biggest kind of weakness so far this season has been you know, at that three spot, depending on how you label RJ Barrett. But Evan, Evan Fournier has like disappeared and in fourth, fourth quarter, sometimes he doesn't play at all. And then I think his counterpart on the, the second unit would be, I would say, Alec Burks with Rosen quickly at the, the two, mm-hmm. one and two. Um, so, like, those guys have been kind of up and down the season. I, I said earlier, Alec Burks has really impressed me the last couple of games. But I think that's an interesting place to, to try to stick in, you know, a Julius Randle in order to get more minutes out of, out of Obi Toppin. I, I haven't thought about it, but it's, it's very interesting. And, like, you see it's a little bit different situation for the, what is it, the Bulls that are running out, like, three seven-footers or the Cavs or someone. Um, it's a little bit different than that because I think they have a little more shooting with, uh, with who is it, Laurie Markkinen. Is he on the Cavs now? <laughs> I think, yeah. I mean, the Cavs what? have Mobley and Jared Allen, who are two pretty much, like, seven-footers out there at the same time. Um, I know the Bulls, like, those are small this- and – and like have Drew was that power forward, but no. So it was it was the Cavs for a while. We're starting those two plus marketing. So it was three seven footers. We're starting, and it's like that's interesting. Like might as well try it because. But if I'm, you don't I, if you don't play like a seven footer, and like to yeah. if you, if Julius Randle doesn't play like a traditional power forward, he plays like a big wing. Like, is it so crazy to positionally put him at a big wing spot if defensively that is doable? then I think, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, I think, I think defensively it's doable. I think last season through – and I, I know that we've said this season he hasn't been as good defensively, but last season 
season for long stretches, he looked like a very good perimeter defender. So I think I'm not worried about the defense. Mm. I'm worried about the shooting around him. And it, it comes back a little bit to the starting lineup last year where the concerns were, you know, you had Alfred Payton and whoever the center was that couldn't shoot at all. That is really condensing things. And uh, that, you know, will to some degree limit, uh, limit what Julius Randle can do. And it will also limit what uh, Obi Toppin can do because both of them are best getting to the rim. So yeah, Randall doesn't like, he doesn't get to the rim quite as much as maybe you'd like him to. I think, yeah. look, both guys are, are super skilled. Both guys are, are just, you know, Obi especially I think is a smart basketball player and, you know, Randall doesn't get to the level he did last year without being a smart basketball player. So I think, I think that they can make it work offensively. Um, we've seen Taj Gibson at the center position space out to the corners and and do okay from there. Um, yeah. I just I just and think it, that these are guys who make it work because they're good basketball players. And one more thing I'll I'll add to that is like I, while Obi hasn't been shooting well, I think he can provide spacing in other ways just by being a guy who's running the baseline looking for for those lobs. Because you know if someone leaves him, he's going to get wide open and he's just going to dunk it. So like that that creates provides a little bit of spacing in a different way. And like, I think that that you know, could be a possibility. Cool. Well, I mean, I don't know if, if Tibbs is going to, you know, experiment with that, but it's something to look out for. I I'd be interested to see it. Cause I know we all want to see more OB minutes, which, you know, last year, certainly last year, this time, I don't think we would have been <laughs> expecting to say something like that. Um, so it goes to show kind of how much can change in a short amount of time. Hopefully we'll be saying the same thing about the starters here pretty soon, but is there anybody else? I mean, Derek Rose, I feel like he's kind of the most consistent guy night to night as sort of the engine of this team. He's, he's the guy who gets downhill, who gets into the teeth of the defense, into the paint, creates for others, attacks the rim. Like he's just kind of got that attacking mentality that helps that second unit that makes it go really. He's the engine. And um, I don't like, is there much more to, to say about Rose? I, I don't know that there really is, but anyone else you want to, touch on uh, anyone in the second unit you want, you think got short shrift here? Yeah. I mean, I, you, you mentioned Derek Rose just now, and I just think he's been, like you said, very consistent. Um, his, his floater game. I actually like, I love it so much just because he shoots it in such a different way than any other player that I've shot. Like watched shoot. Like it's, I don't want to say herky jerky, but there's a lot of like motion to it. And it just, I love it. And uh, it goes in more often than not, which I also appreciate. I think Greg is the one who says anytime Derek Rose misses a shot, I'm surprised. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's been great. And I, I don't know who else there is to talk about. I'm, I mean, we mentioned briefly that Taj Gibson has been, you know, filled that void from, uh, from New Orleans Noel the same way he filled the void when, when Mitchell Robinson was out last year. And like, he's been great. And like, you, it can't be understated how, how great it is to have him as like our end of the bench center as like worst case scenario. He's the guy we're going to throw in. If one of the other two is injured. It's a, it's a massive security blanket for us there. So um, yeah, hopefully we get a healthy lineup of bigs, a healthy rotation of bigs here pretty soon. But I don't know. I think that's, that's all I've got. I mean, it, to sum it up, it sounds like you are very much not worried at all. And you just think the time, will prove that this is a good basketball team that actually does complement each other, that actually does fit together, and they just need some more reps. I'm also of that mind. I just really want to see 
more, and, and, and I know you do too, but I really want to harp on it. Like I want to see more urgency and more just obvious effort from that, from that first unit. I want to see just them take some pride and like, you know, if you're part of that starting unit, aren't you maybe a little embarrassed that the second unit goes out there and like steals the show every night and, and really plays hard and plays together and gets the crowd into it. Um, I think you kind of have to take that a little personally, like the MJ meme. And if you're in that starting lineup and, and you really have to just step up the intensity and go at teams and be the aggressor. And I, I think we've seen them do it before. I think they can do it. And I think that they will. It's just a, it's kind of a shift in mindset that's needed. Yeah. And while, like you said, I am of the, the mindset that this team will be fine. No, this is a good team. They have a lot of talent and over the course of the season, they will figure it out and, uh, and be better by the end of the year than they are right now. Uh, it doesn't change the fact that every one of these games, I'm, I'm right there with, with all of the other fans, just like pulling my hair out and freaking out about blowing leads and, and missing shots and all of that. So like, it's been a stressful start to the season for sure, but big picture. I think, uh, I think we're going to be all right. All right, man. Well, I think that's all the Knicks talk for now. I mean, Oh, we can, uh, Oh, oh you want to do some, uh, some predictions predictions tom everyone always forgets the predictions i know i'm always i'm a little rusty i'm a little rusty on the predictions so this upcoming week we've got a game tomorrow i guess if you're listening to this on monday it's tonight um at home against the pacers we have a little home stand we're at msg for pacers magic and rockets before sunday evening at the bulls so i i mean i'd be surprised if we potted after the Bulls game, um, I think we do predictions for the next three. I'm talking Pacers, Magic, Rockets, all home games. What do you think, Kenny? See, that's interesting. If we did all four, I was going to say three and one because I think, you know, I think we could beat the Bulls. I think we could lose to the Bulls. But I think uh, with a possibility of slipping one, of the, I'm going to take a three and a week. I don't, I don't like predicting losses. You know me. I'll take 3-0. You like 3-0? Yeah. I mean, the revenge games against the Pacers and Magic after the way that our first our, – not our, our second game against the Magic went and our last game against the Pacers. And then uh, I just don't have much faith in the Rockets right now. That's, that's my reasoning. Rockets are 1-11. Rockets Kenny, are Kenny, add the Bulls in. We're adding the Bulls in. We're doing four games here. I changed my mind. Okay. Rock, okay. Rockets are one and eleven. The Magic are three and ten. The Pacers are six and eight. Like I'm taking those three, three and oh. I I'll take three and one if you add the Bulls game in. Yeah. Uh, but I think we could beat the Bulls, and I also think we could slip a, a slip a loss could slip into those other three three games. So Yeah, I think a loss could I mean the Pacers are good. Um like we we played the Pacers, lost to the Pacers in Indiana um, just a couple weeks ago. That was a good team. Like, I think that they, they have uh, some stretch bigs that give us some issue. I mean, specifically Miles Turner. He went off against us. I don't think he'll have that kind of game, but he is the archetype of a, of a stretch five that gives Mitch and Noel some problems because we have our, our defensive scheme and pick and roll. We have our bigs drop all the way back, it is tough for them to defend pick and pops 
and get it back out to the perimeter. So, so you know, yep. I'll, let me let me just throw in one stat on that uh, Miles Turner thing. So Miles Turner has 33s on the season in 14 games. He had seven threes against the Knicks, which is unsustainable. That's unsustainable. Time. I mean, there there have been some just ridiculous performances from Ricky Rubio, Miles Turner. Uh, I keep on saying Powell, but it's McGovern's not. boy. Connaughton. Connaughton, whatever. Like, yeah, there have been some ridiculous nights. Um, and again, through the course of the season, I think this stuff will even out. I don't think that every team is going to have some random guy have a career year, career, career night. game against the Knicks for the rest of the year. Kenny, I like three and one. I think I, I really so do think this, week, this week's going to turn it around. I really think so. Um, I, I, this next team is really good on the road, though we already did beat the Bulls by one on the road. Um, it, is, it is tough to beat a team twice like that, but I like the matchup against the Bulls. I, the, the Pacers is a tough matchup. We have not played so well at home. Have you noticed that? The MSG, the home record, isn't so strong. but. I'll go three and one. I think that the vibes this time next week will be completely different than they are right now. I think we're kind of just mired in this little, just it's kind of a weird time with, with the, the dichotomy between the starters and the bench. And um, there's a lot of angst among the fan base. I think that's going to, we know how quickly things can change. I have a good feeling. I think this is gonna be a good week. See, that was a good use of word. You said how quickly things could change. And I mentioned People were completely out on a manual quickly just like two weeks ago. So everyone, it's good to look back and see where we were just to realize that like where we are now is not where we will be a week from now, two weeks from now. Things are going to be all right, people. Going to be all right. Everybody calm down. Calm down because that is the end of the next talk. We can get quickly, briefly into what else is on. Kenny, are you watching any shows that you'd like to share with the group? Um, I got to be honest with you, Tom. So I'm watching Seinfeld on Netflix Love a it. lot, a lot. And we were big Seinfeld fans growing up. And uh, there's some humor that like really holds up and there's some humor, not so much, but uh, I think Greg mentioned like a lot of the stand-up stuff, like he doesn't like, I, I'm 50-50. There's some, some of the stand-up stuff that he does during the show that like I like, and then there's some of it that's just like, nah, that doesn't do it for me anymore. Um, but there's a, like a lot of the actual comedy stuff like I, I still enjoy, and I don't know if it's because like I have that nostalgic remember or memory about watching this growing up, and it's just still funny. Um, but like that's been, that's been good. And beyond that, uh, Disney Plus Day, because every – Every big company has a day now happened. And so I spent uh, a, few t- a few days this weekend watching some random stuff on that. Mostly Shang-Chi, because as you know, I am um, Asian, and that is Marvel's first Asian superhero. So really into that. Yeah, my little brother said he loved it. Mikey said he loved it. Um, he said Aquafina was great. Um, yeah. For those who don't know, I, Aquafina is a client of the company at which I work. I've gotten a chance to work with her many times and she is a delightful person. Um, so I, I'm always rooting for anything that she does to, to do well, to be good. She's a, she's a very talented and, and humble person. So I'm all in on, uh, on Shang-Chi and 
in Aquafina's character. Yeah, I, and I, I thought it was very good. And like to the point where it, it felt a little different from the other Marvel movies, maybe just because like, I don't know, I was immersed in it, but it, it felt like a standalone separate thing. And then like every once in a while, something would be like, oh yeah, we're in the Marvel universe. It's all happening together. But like, I very much enjoyed it. Awesome, man. Um, so I mean, what Seinfeld, about you, I mean, Seinfeld, like it's, it's on Netflix now. So I think that a lot of people are kind of going back and that's just, I'm talking about the Taj Gibson security blanket thrown on Seinfeld is just, you know, yeah. there's a very high floor for what you're about to watch. Like you're yeah. going to enjoy yourself. Um, so as far as Jerry doing the stand up, like in between scenes, I think that's a, a an early Seinfeld thing. Don't they kind of go away from that as the series I, goes on? So I just got to season three. And just so you know, I haven't been watching this nonstop. I think the first two seasons are relatively short. Mm, the first are. is like six episodes and maybe the second is 12. Yep. So it's basically like I watched one season. Uh, but I just started season three and it's still going. I, I thought that that was something that continued on. Um, another like thing to... Yeah. Uh, another thing to note is that uh, Greg bought Jerry Seinfeld's book, which he um, loaned me. And so I've been reading that. And like a lot of the, con- the standup is straight out of that book. So like he just wrote like the, the premise of the book is it's I think it's called um, Is This Anything? So it's just a bunch of jokes that he wrote down like over decades of being a comedian and like eventually workshopped and some of them made him made it into the show. Some of them made it into a standup comedy and it's just like everything that he wrote down some of it's good some of it's not very good but like it's it's interesting to see that like because that book just came out maybe a year ago and now like i'm watching seinfeld which came out two decades ago and like seeing it all come together is very interesting yeah it's i mean it's a great show it's it makes sense that it holds up because it's about like people and situations and just kind of interacting with you know, not just friends, but just strangers too. And then just kind of the uncomfortableness, the awkwardness of just everyday life and the minutiae of it and what you, where the situations yeah. you find yourself in. So yeah, it's, it definitely holds. I love Seinfeld. Um, Have you been watching it at all? Yeah. Rose and I, when we were uh, actually in Turks, we, we put it on for a night and uh, yeah, we watched The Stakeout, which is obviously a very early episode. And just, it's a classic where Jerry meets a girl at a party, doesn't get her name. There are no cell phones. Like, there's no social media back then. That makes for a lot of good comedy, you know? And so, like, they, he has to go physically stake out. All he knows is where she works. So he gets George. They go hang out in the lobby. And they just come fake a reason for even being there in the first place. And that's pretty much the whole premise of the yeah. episode. And I think it's, it's crazy to me, like how consistent it is. Cause I think if you go back and watch other shows, you see like how they, the characters develop over time and things like that. But I feel like I could watch a show, like probably towards the end or towards the beginning. And you have no idea really when it is. I mean, obviously the, I think the video changes a little bit throughout the show, but like there yeah. are very early episodes that like, I remember watching as a kid and I was like, Oh, I would have assumed that was like, at their peak, like middle of the, the run, like where they are, but no, like very consistent throughout in terms of like, the level of, of what they're doing and like the characters and who they are. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always, I'm always good for Seinfeld. Just put it on. It could be background. It could be the, the focal point. It, it, it works. But uh, as far as what I've been watching, 
you know, Rose and I are still on Brooklyn nine, nine, making our way. We just started season six. Um, and then, you know, just still plugging away on that. Love that show. It's, it's still high quality comedy at this point. I think it can be hard to come up with premises six seasons in they're still doing it. They're still doing a great job. Um, the other show that I'm watching and anticipating every week is Succession. And I've talked about it here before. I called it the best show on TV today. I was at my in-laws and that's how I described it. And I, like the best show that's currently airing episodes. I'm, you know, I'm probably not the authority on that. I'm not watching everything on TV though. I mean, Succession is incredibly well done. It is so much fun. I know that when I first started watching it and a common complaint I hear about it from people who first start watching it is there's no one to root for. Like there are no good characters. I don't care anymore. I don't, I don't need to root for any of them. I don't want, like, I just want to see it all unfold. I want to see the train wreck that, that is these people's lives and just kind of like showing the, the downside of wealth. I mean, I don't even know if that's really, that's not really the point of the show. It's just like this family is, empty at its core it is it is delightful to watch it is a comedy it is a drama there's just so many unforgettable characters i love this show um and at first i was hesitant to get into it but now i'm i'm in so you know you forget that like the executive producers of the show are will ferrell and adam mckay it's the anchorman guys who do this this show about like basically it's like a fox news kind of knockoff right it's like the fam, it's a family running a kind of right-wing media company and some, some controversies that they get embroiled in and just the family dynamics of, of who is going to take over after the patriarch of the family retires. He's getting old, he's getting up there. And there's just so many twists and you don't know who the allegiances are between. There's actually some, every time that happens, I always make a Game of Thrones comparison because that the best part of Game of Thrones was like the politics of it, right? And the little finger and the, you know, just all the, the guys, the the, the man or the eunuch you ne- had the, the whisper. You never knew, yeah. You never knew what was going to happen. And you, like anyone could betray anyone at any point in time. Yeah, nothing is sacred. Like anything could happen. And that, that's kind of the succession feel too. So um, highly recommend it. I know that uh, tonight there is another episode airing. So I'll get to talk about that a little bit next week, but. Yeah, that, that's I, it for me, man. Again, I haven't seen it. Uh, you talk about it. Greg talked about it. I mentioned Jim and Suzanne came here earlier. They mentioned it. So I, I think at some point I'm going to have to pick it up. I think you're going to like it and just let go of the who's the good guy. Let go of the who do I root for. Don't root for any of them. Just, just enjoy the show. <laughs> sure, sure. All right, guys. All right. Uh, that is, that's all from us, man. This was a... a a good recap. It wasn't the most fun week. It was a fun podcast. It was fun talking to you, Kenny. Yeah, I hope, I hope you guys had fun too, you listeners. I, I had fun talking to you. All right, guys. Um, we'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TalkinNicks. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Tom underscore Piccolo. And uh, until then, hey, let's go Knicks. Nick State.